Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. The new Netflix series, Filthy Rich, covers the life and victims of Jeffrey Epstein, a serial pedophile and owner of his own island. On today's episode, we have Shauna Rivera. She was just 14 when she met Jeffrey Epstein and was sexually abused by him. Here's her story. Jeffrey Epstein's death was not the closure we as victims needed. Everybody involved needs to go down. These pedophiles need to be brought to justice. If you have ever been a victim, please, I urge you to speak up and let the world know your truth about these monsters. This is what Shauna Rivera wrote. Introducing this week's guest, Shauna. Shauna was a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. Shauna, welcome to the show. I was completely blown away by your story, and thank you so much for being open to doing this. You're very welcome. Shauna, your childhood story was scattered with trauma and abuse. Let's start there. There's definitely a lot. I definitely didn't go into a lot of detail on the show. There's a lot that wasn't aired. I really grew up without my dad. He had gone to prison when I was three. He was released when I was 10. I was really close to my dad during the time that he was in prison. When people are in prison, they sell dreams to the people that are outside. That was kind of what was going on. I already had a not great upbringing with my mom. So, you know, he was promising to give me a better life. And so I was really excited for him to come out and to spend time with him. He definitely treated me really well while he was very mean and abusive and cold to the other kids. How did that make you feel? At the time, I had already been living with my mom. I had already been abused. I was used to it, but I definitely knew that it wasn't normal. I just felt like there wasn't anything that I could do. I think I just, I felt really bad, but I just knew that he wasn't going to do this to me. And that if I kind of left it alone, then he would continue to not do this to me as well. Being a child, how did you process that abuse? It's kind of a strange family dynamic because growing up with my mom, there was a lot of abuse in the household. I was not happy. I remember just being really upset and sad as a young kid when I was 10 and 9 and 8. Like I remember like trying to run away from home. I definitely felt like my dad was saving me, but I also felt like what was happening was really wrong. And as a 12-year-old girl, there really was nothing that I could do. Did you visit your dad in jail? I didn't. I lived in Florida my entire life. My dad was in prison in Indiana. I didn't visit him. I did visit him a little when I was really young, but I don't really remember visiting him much right before he came out. What did he do? I believe he went to prison for a burglary and he actually escaped from prison. I guess he was out for a few days when he had escaped and I think it was a friend's girlfriend that turned him in. What's your relationship like with him now? I don't speak to him any longer. I do get like the occasional card. He no longer has my address, so I don't really get them anymore. He would send me a card for Mother's Day, sometimes Christmas, and usually my birthday. And I normally would just throw them out without reading them. Do you think your dad knows that you were a victim of sexual abuse? 
I have never spoken to him about it. His mom mostly raised me. After I was 14 and everything was kind of going on with Epstein, I moved in with my grandmother because my mom had given up custody of me. I've had a crazy life. <laughs> I mean, the way that I was even identified, the FBI contacted me out of the blue. Like they had received my information. They had gone to my grandmother to see if they could talk to me. I'm pretty sure that she has spoken to my dad about that. So I do believe that he knows, but I've never spoken to him about it. I mean, my dad would want to kill him. Yeah, I don't know how he feels about it. My dad always felt close to me and I did feel close to him back before all of this happened. And even afterward, I struggled a lot after what happened happened and my dad went to trial. I actually was coerced into lying for my dad when I was 14 during his trial. I had a lot of resentments. I mostly put the guilt on myself for lying. You know, it wasn't until many years later that I realized that I was just such a young kid. Anybody in my situation would have probably done the same thing. When you're surrounded by a bunch of big, scary adults telling you this is what you have to do, you just do it. When I realized this was really messed up, that he shouldn't have been willing to put me through something like that, that was when I became really angry with him and I really decided not to have a relationship with him any longer. What was it like talking to the FBI? At first it was really scary because yeah. the FBI, you know, <laughs> and I, I was 18 or 19 when they contacted me. Yeah, I was totally freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why they wanted to talk to me. I was like, what is going on? I was terrified and I was scared to like tell them what happened too because I didn't know it was hard for me at that point to trust adults. Even though I was like 18 or 19, I still was a kid and I didn't know what would be considered okay to say to them and not say to them, you know? It took me a few times of talking to them to open up and I still don't think I fully told them everything I definitely could have told them. Did they have a woman speak to you at all or was it all men? I know that you watch the series. So if you watch Mike, Mike Fiston, he talks about an FBI agent called Nesbitt. I mostly would speak to her, but it was usually her and another male. And sometimes she would one-on-one -on -one sit with me, you know, but it still was like very uncomfortable. I was definitely uncomfortable. And at that time, it was something that I hadn't shared with anybody. I was, I just kept it like a secret. Like I didn't, I hadn't spoken to anyone about it. Oh my God. I want to know like when they called you. Yeah. Like what was your first reaction when like, they're like, yeah, this is the FBI. Well, they didn't call me at first. They showed up at my grandmother's house oh my and they, God. They, they talked to her and they left her a card and told her to ask me to call them. And so she called me and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. No way. <laughs> I didn't know what they wanted. I was just like, oh no, I'm not going to call them. After a while, you know, they showed up a couple more times. They showed up at my mom's house. I'm not close to my mom at all. When she got involved, I was like, okay, I got to get these people to leave everyone <laughs> alone. I did end up contacting them. I eventually did give them information about another victim that I was aware of. Like I said, it took me a while to trust them. I mean, my initial reaction was completely freaked out. 
I think I was like a total jerk to them the first time because I definitely have a tendency to hold back and be really guarded when I'm not feeling totally comfortable. Did your grandmother want you to be open about it or was she like, maybe you shouldn't say anything? She wasn't really sure of what it was about either. I had dealt with this thing with my dad and then immediately after was when I began being abused by Jeffrey Epstein. I was not like sitting at home with my grandma saying like, oh, you know, here's all my problems. You know what I mean? I was like out doing whatever I could do to deal with what I had gone through and what I was going through, you know? Did you have friends so, that you could talk to about it? I had my girlfriend who brought me to his house originally, but I wasn't close to her and I definitely wasn't thrilled with her because of what she kind of walked me into. I don't think any of us really knew how to feel about it. And I think we were all kind of scared and freaked out about what to do. So behind all of the money and power, who is Jeffrey Epstein? I don't know. I eventually was able to kind of cope with what happened. I am somebody who has been addicted to drugs. I'm now in recovery and I have been for a while. I helped myself to cope with it by looking at it as an addiction, whereas I was self-medicating with drugs and stuff and it was just something that eventually I would do without even wanting to do it. I had to look at it like messed up addiction that he had and he thought that he could get away with it and he did for a long time. I'm absolutely not okay with it. I think that there was a sickness inside of him that he really couldn't control. And that's what he did. I think it's really interesting that you draw a parallel between your addiction to drugs and his addiction to pedophilia. Do you think in some ways it justifies his actions? No, that's not what I'm saying. I think, um, I just think that what Jeffrey Epstein had was a sickness inside of him. For me, that didn't make it okay in my head, but it did help me to understand it and to forgive and move on with my life. The Netflix series really made it seem like he did this for such a long time repeatedly. He had a system and recruiters. It's just insane that he was so brazen about his actions. It was almost like mind control. He would pick you out In my situation, he just kind of chose me and he was just like, you're going to come back. Being 14 and I'm a virgin, I have no sexual experience with anyone. I'm not completely understanding what is happening or why it's happening right now. What he said to me was, you're going to come back and we'll call you. And I would just receive a phone call and there would be a car and I would be told to get in the car. Was anybody in the car? Yeah, there was a driver. The driver probably wasn't even always aware of where they were taking me or what was happening. Sometimes it was a cab. Why did you decide to go get in the car? I don't know. Like I said, I was told to, so I did. What happened once you got to the house? Once I got there, I basically was either walked to the room or I was told to go upstairs to the room. By yourself? Yes. Could you go into the details of what happened when you got there? I will talk about who usually greeted me and what it looked like when I walked into the house. I don't feel comfortable going into details about what happened. I would get there and normally it was somebody in the driveway waiting to greet me. There was often a younger female, definitely older than me at the time, named Sarah. Sarah would walk me in and say hello to me and 
tell me that Jeff was upstairs waiting for me. I remember walking up the steps and just being nervous and anxious and not wanting to do it and just doing it anyway. I remember just trying to tune out my mind, just not think about what was happening. And then I would leave. I just couldn't wait to leave. Did the two of you have conversations like it was a relationship? Once in a while, he would small talk and chit chat, but usually he went about his usual business. Like it was really strange. Sometimes he would talk on the phone and schedule appointments and things like that and talk about traveling and stuff like that. Sometimes he really didn't say much. It was not extremely personal, but I think it was personal enough for him to engage in a way that would keep me somewhat comfortable so that I would continue to go back. Do you think he had feelings for any of the victims? No, no, I don't. And have you talked to the other victims? No, I don't feel comfortable talking about specific details, like as far as what he did to me. It's pretty out there. It's pretty public so much so that I don't have to go into detail. I don't really talk to the other victims, Ben. I'm still in contact with them. I am friends with them on social media. Do you wish that you could have confronted him in court? I absolutely do. I mean, I definitely remember the day that Jeff died, I remember being sad about it. Overwhelming sadness. It hurt me that he, in a sense, got away with what he did because he had already gotten away with so much the first time that he was caught. That was when I was trying for my case to get him punished in the courts. We were just completely fucked over. They basically said that they're going to punish him for that first victim or that victim that came forward. But outside of that, they weren't willing to bring any charges against him. That was really hard. And then knowing that it was going to happen again in New York, I was actually contacted by the FBI again before charges were brought against him in New York. And they came to me asking if there was anything that I can help them with, anything that I can tell them. Because during the time that I was filing a lawsuit against him, I was heavily harassed. I was scared out of my home. I was followed and watched and harassed on a constant basis. Scary for me even now. With this Netflix series having come out, I usually say no to anybody asking me for an interview and things like that. After Netflix, I did start to feel scared again that I would be harassed. I'm still somewhat suspicious when I see cars driving by slowly or somebody watching me. I just wonder why are they watching me? Does this person look familiar? Does this vehicle look familiar? Do they live in my neighborhood? Um, I was wondering if you were even scared to talk to me. You read all this stupid stuff on the internet where you don't know what's true and what's not true. I am aware that this is a very high profile case. Is somebody angry with me? Does somebody not want me to say what I have to say? What about the other co-contributors that have gotten away? Are you worried about them? I do worry about them, but I know that Jeff died with a lot of secrets. There was discussion that I heard that I wouldn't publicly share because I have children. I have a family. I don't want to worry any more than I already do. When all of that stuff was going on with my case, when I was first contacted by the FBI, I was pregnant with oh my, my God. first daughter. The first time I met my lawyer, who was Brad Edwards, I had just given birth and I was- oh my God. You know, I was at home with my baby. All of a sudden, I had all this crazy stuff going on. And I also had a baby to look out for and take care of. Having these people following me and behaving really crazy, it was 
terrifying. If you remember from the series, I had to leave my home because of this guy who was blatantly harassing me in the middle of the night. I was basically told like your family will be safer without you here. That is terrible. Oh my God. And plus when you're a new mom, I mean, I have a one-year-old, you're already just like hormonally, you know, on edge. It was difficult. It was really difficult. And I mean, life has been a lot better since. What would you say to him? I don't think I would have anything to say to him. I just think that the only thing that I would ever want if I had to do anything in front of his face would be speaking to a judge about bringing justice to all of the people that he's harmed and just asking them to throw the book at him. Do you think there were other survivors that would have said something? Absolutely. If you think of the numbers, if you think of the amount of girls who have come forward, that is nothing compared to the amount of victims that he has left behind. It's just like beyond. He had homes in all of these different places and he used them all as a base for his sick behavior. They were all over. I would hate to try to even figure out the number, the true number. It makes me sick. Were there any topics discussed during the taping of the show that didn't air that you'd like to talk about? I filmed for the series almost a year ago. I don't necessarily remember everything that was filmed. One of the things that we talked about was the types of girls that he would try to keep around. And I think that's probably part of how he was able to get away with everything for as long as he did, because it was like he would take in one who maybe she was already messing around with drugs and hanging out with guys, kind of living like somewhat of like a faster life lifestyle at a very young age. He would take that girl and bring her like under his wing and say, hey, bring me your friends. That would be somebody that lived in a very lower class neighborhood. If somebody was willing to go there, probably didn't have a very good upbringing. They probably were already struggling. They were probably already vulnerable. In my situation, I wasn't fully aware of what I was walking into when I was walking into it. I think that's what he looks for. He looks for weakness. He looks for people that don't know better. Maybe if I had a strong upbringing, I might have turned around and walked right out of that house. From what I picked up from the series, the girls that refused him were then recruited to recruit other young girls. Did you ever recruit girls for him? No. Do you think that he was murdered? I think there's a possibility. I look at the details myself personally. I'm not going to have more information on this than anybody else, but I look at the details of it and I think he probably hired somebody to come and kill him. I just feel like it was the last cowardly act, like, fuck you. But at the same time, like, he just could not handle it. He didn't have the ability within him to do it himself. Before the FBI came and talked to you, had you researched him? Had you, like, found out who he was? No, I had buried it. I had not talked about it. I hadn't looked at it. I just walked away from it. So I thought, (laughs) but this thing doesn't go away. I was shocked honestly, when the FBI told me what this was about. And I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh my God, like, what did I do? I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Like, I was scared. Do you want to help others with this? I see how compassionate and empathetic you are towards people who come forward and share their own traumas with you. I do eventually want to dive a lot deeper into the realm of helping survivors of sexual assault and pedophilia. I definitely do have a passion for that. When I do post on my Facebook page, I try to always tell people to 
speak out on their abusers because it steals their power from them. It gives you that power back. As much as you allow that to keep you down and to keep you weak, you're giving them that power. Thank you so much for being courageous and open with me and taking a risk on me. I want to help give people the courage to speak out, get it out there, to not be afraid. It's hard to come out and say that. It's hard to admit it and it's hard to not feel guilty about it. It's hard to not feel like you did something wrong. Something's wrong with you. You know, the reason more people don't come forward is because they don't feel like they'll be believed and they're probably worried about being called names. I mean, have people called you bad things? I feel very grateful that I've had a lot more support than I have had that. I think that that is definitely something that discourages people. But you know what? I think today and now is like the perfect time. I'm so glad that you came forward and that you shared your story with me. So daddy, what did you think? Well, she met attorneys. She also showed that when the FBI first uh, met her, how she was paranoid, thinking that she might have done something wrong. But I think the interesting part of the conversation is that you get to the point that if you're in a household where you have fathers in jail or there's abuse or mothers that can't really handle their children and the children get the wrong impression of what a family unit is, they're vulnerable. This is why it's so important to have a strong family unit and the right philosophy of ethics and values that are passed on to your children. And the sad part that came out of all of this is that there are certain people out there that are not necessarily addicted to just drugs, but they're addicted to being a pedophile or sexual acts that are really an abomination. And these people have no conscience whatsoever for the victim. It's more like they're just a trophy on their wall. It's just a question of empowerment where they just are taking advantage of people, young people that are just lost and are vulnerable to them where they can just be sucked away like the Pied Piper stealing your children. It's a very, very sad situation because this has gone on for years and years and years. But in the new age that we live in, in communication, where every phone has a camera on it, you just can't hide abuses. It comes out to the forefront. And hopefully some of these answers can come to light and where we can hopefully prevent a lot of this stuff from happening in the future. That's what we have to pray for. She said she was just doing what she was told. Exactly. She was doing what she was told and to get high or just to go in with the crowd. She was stunned that somebody would really take that advantage of her. You need encouragement in order to really excel. And when you don't have a role model to go by, and you don't have somebody there in your corner to encourage you, you're just numb. You're just lost. And it's easy to go astray and someone out there can just snatch you up, take advantage of you. And if you're a young girl, 12 to 14 years old, what a crime. What a crime for someone to take advantage of someone like that. And yet the rich and powerful Jeff Epstein just lurking out there, just like a vulture. This can happen to anyone. And it doesn't have to be someone that's just poor. A person in our own shop went go to jail for 20 years, come out, and doesn't think he did anything wrong. And yet he got caught molesting children and having a tape of it, of all of his victims. Again, like a trophy case of 20, 30 girls. And he even had a daughter the same age as the girls that he's raping. A good-looking fella who'd been married twice to two beautiful girls and has beautiful children. 
and yet has this addiction or where he's a pedophile, where he needs to abuse young girls, 12 to 14 years old. And not one, but many. This Mr. Epstein is doing the same thing. You're talking about thousands of young girls that have been abused. And then he thinks it's funny. He's even getting other people involved in doing the same thing to justify maybe his behavior. Pedophilia is a pandemic hiding in the shadows. It's time to pull it out into the light so we can do something about it. One in three girls and one in seven boys are sexually abused before the age of 18. Only one in 10 victims will ever come forward because we've created an environment where they don't feel safe to speak out. If you've been sexually abused, you are not alone. You are not in trouble. You did nothing wrong. For help, go to bettercalldaddy.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.